0: So we've been going through the book of Galatians. And I wanted to start out with a question uh, for you here. Who in here absolutely loves adventure? Okay, that's a markedly younger crowd. (laughs) Who's an adrenaline junkie? Okay, all right. Who in here are the people that watch people that take risks? Okay, you're like, I love those videos, right? You're like, I I love to watch people, well, basically biff it, right? You know, (laughs) If, if if they get not seriously hurt, it's funny. If they get seriously hurt, it's a tragedy. But regardless, we still watch the videos, right? And we can't take our eyes off of the things that happen. We say, you know what, anytime that anything starts with, hey, y'all, watch this, you know to get your camera out and start recording, right? That's kind of really how it works. So um, some of us love adventure. Some of us love to watch people who take adventure. And then some of us like to control things. Who's that? Thank you for being honest. I appreciate that very much. The rest of you that we know that you're controlling, good self-control. I don't know. So does anyone in here know who Charles Blondin was? No? All right. So Blondin, he was famous for walking a tightrope. Um, and he did, this is actually a picture of him. He, uh, he walked a tightrope, most famously in the United States, for the tightrope across Niagara Falls. Okay? So this is that guy that, that would go and do these amazing feats. And this was back when, I guess, um, men could wear tights. I don't know. Um, but he walked a tightrope. And it's estimated that he walked about 10,000 miles on a tightrope. That's a lot of travel back and forth across a rope. So what he would do is he would set up this rope and, and he would stretch it across and they'd make sure that everything was all, all bound and, and everything. But like I said, in the United States, it was for Niagara Falls. And so he would start, he would walk across and you know, people would clap and he'd go back and he'd do this. But he did all kinds of tricks. He would do things like um, you know, balance on one foot or do a roll or push a wheelbarrow Uh, In fact, he was the one that uh, would actually cook an omelet on a tightrope, tightrope. And he would sit and he would eat a meal. But one of the things that he was probably most famous for is he would ask for a volunteer to go with him. He would ask, who wants to go across with me on my back? Who in here would do that? Oh, a couple. <laughs> okay. Just so happens we have one set up out here. <laughs> no. Uh, hey, but, you know, it's one of those things that, that we see people do something amazing, and a lot of times we're like, yeah, I want to join in that. I want to do that, but not that, right? We, we see somebody do a, su- a supreme uh, physical feat, But to get on someone's back and to go across the falls, and if you falls, it's to your death, right? Uh, To to trust someone, even uh, someone that you know well, much less a stranger, it is very difficult for us to volunteer to be carried across on someone else's power, on someone else's shoulders. And when Charles would talk to the person that was going to go across with him on this tightrope, Do you know what he would tell them? He would say, listen, I need you to trust me. My balance must become our balance. You need to let go. You need to let go of your need to balance on your own and rest in mine. How many of you could do that? Because I know me, I I go into a a, a mall, particularly the one with the escalator because I don't like walking stairs. But you ever get on that escalator that you stand on the step and the handrail starts right here, but then it keeps going this way or it goes down. I mean, either way, why can't they figure that out? You know, we can put a person in space, but we can't figure out how to make a handrail go the same speed as the treads on stairs. I mean, somebody needs to figure that out. Maybe, Maybe it'll come from our youth. I don't know. But when we get in a situation and we say, okay, I have got to trust that you will carry me, not many of us will sign up for that. Because here's what happens. What happens if, if, if Charles had a guy on his shoulders and he starts and he steps out and gets a few feet away from the edge? And what if the person that was on his back asked him to stop? and let them get off, just, just, just stop, I'll do it myself. You know, that was really fun, it was really cute how you kind of pumped the crowd up, but I think I've got it from here. Well, have you ever done a tightrope? No, I've never done a tightrope. rope, but it can't be that hard, right? How many of us would look at a person that got off the back of the person that was the expert, the one that could carry him across? The one that had proven that he could carry them across and say, you know what? I'm going to be fine on my own. I'll do the rest without you. What kind of response would that kind of a person get? What kind of a, what kind of a response would it be? It would probably be the same reaction from most of us. We go, oh my goodness, what a moron, right? Can you say that in church? I, anyway. You say, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they got off the shore bed and relied on themselves. (laughs) Or we just look at them and go, bless their heart. Where's the popcorn? (laughs) You know, we're going to watch this thing. And that's exactly what was going on. And that was exactly Paul's reaction to what he was hearing that was going on with the Galatian believers, the ones that were thinking about. They were thinking about being circumcised to become part of the Jewish culture. So he exclaims to them in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And it quite literally means, Are you out of your mind? Are you completely out of your mind? Have, have you begun thinking? That whatever you begin with in the spirit and in faith, that you can continue with the flesh. He says, having begun with the faith, should you continue with works of the Torah? Hmm. See, the gospel we understand is the way that we enter into the kingdom of God. We understand that, that it's by grace we have been saved so that none of us can boast, Right? It is by grace you have been saved. It's not by works lest anyone should boast. We, we know that, that when we trust in Jesus, we're trusting in his not only in his death, his burial, but we trust that we will rise with him again in his resurrection. It's through faith in Jesus that we have access to God. It's through faith in Jesus that we have defeated sin. It's through faith in Jesus that we have a standing with God that cannot be taken away. And Paul says, How foolish are you? We are saved by grace. We are saved by grace. And then we choose to do something else. We are saved by, though, and we grow in the gospel. See, here's the way that I I believe that we do things in 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 our spiritual walk. Because... I, I think sometimes we do think that our relationship with God is kind of like one of these things that teeters, right? And so a tightrope actually sounds like a pretty appropriate illustration of how we feel when we're engaging in our relationship with God. How many of you have felt, you know what, I, I, I don't know that I can make it. I don't know that I can move very far. And I don't want to get off balance, and I don't want to get off task, and I don't want to continue to, to, to wobble. But every time that we make a step and we do something, we we say, you know what, I'm going to do it. You can't begin with faith and then proceed to grow through works. Paul says we are justified, that we are made righteous through Christ. Christ. We are justified. We are made righteous through Christ. And we are sanctified. That means being made holy, transformed by Christ. Now, I've been telling you guys for the past few weeks that we need to learn how to live the gospel. We need to understand what does it look like not only to believe the gospel, but to live the gospel. And how many of you say, I have really still no idea what that means? It's okay. You can raise your hand. Good. Pass the test. Just raise your hand. We are transformed by the work of the gospel in our lives. It's not by the things that we do, because we never leave the gospel behind. We never get past the gospel and its power in our lives. Because don't you remember? Don't you remember the way that that the gospel came upon you? Do you remember the day that you finally understood who Jesus is? That Jesus had saved you from your sin? Do you remember that day? How many of you can clearly remember that day? It was the most passionate It was the most moving. It was the most intense feeling and understanding that you had ever had of anything spiritual, much less of understanding who you were. But more important than that, it was understanding who Jesus is. You remember the moment that you responded in faith. Paul was bringing this out in his conversation with the Galatians, he said it this way, it was before your eyes that Christ was portrayed publicly portrayed as crucified, not that they had some sort of a passion play in front of them, it was that the message was moving, the message was powerful, the message changed you from the very inside of who you are. And some of you say, I oh, You want to know that for sure that Jesus is Lord. You want to know for sure that there is a way for you to be with God forever. And you need to know for sure that it does not rest on what you did last night. Because if it rested on what we did last night, how many of us would be in trouble? Right? So how then? Do we learn to not only accept the gospel in faith, but learn to live the gospel? Paul said, listen, we painted a picture in front of you. We told you with words that were powerful. We we painted a picture, and it ignited something in your heart. It ignited something in your soul. In that powerful image of the gospel, he also explained to the Thessalonian believers. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he said it this way. The gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. Our hearts, Paul said, they were moved. Your heart was moved. Not just... In understanding that Jesus had died. It was more than that. It was finally understanding that Jesus had died for you. Jesus has died for me. And we see the meaning of that. We see the meaning of his work on the cross for us. So, Paul says, Let me ask you only this Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's a good question. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? To believe the gospel is not only acknowledging the death and resurrection of Jesus, but it also means that we stop trying to attain our salvation by the work of our hands, by observing the law. Because the way the spirit enters should be the way that the spirit advances. Christians, we, we have this idea, uh, John, John Stott said it this way, Christians uh, think that we are saved by the gospel. But then we grow by applying biblical principles to every area of life. But we are not, we're not just saved by the gospel. We grow by applying the gospel to every area of life. And what does that really, truly mean? It's, an, it's a transformation. You know, we talk a lot about, about growing in the spiritual disciplines and the things that you do to produce faith and all of those things, but really, truly what we're talking about is learning how to be open to the work of the Holy Spirit inside you, how to be open to work the work of Christ inside you, how to lay down our need for control, how to lay down our own desire to walk across the rope on our own power. The Holy Spirit brings transformation by the advancement of the gospel in us. Do you know what happens when we make it about the works that we do? Our works, they only slow the process of the transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit inside you. Because we make it about us. How many times... And I'll tell you, 100%, I'm guilty of this one. I have, um, I use Kindle to read. Anyone in here use a Kindle? How many of you have discovered that it has reading insights? Any, okay, it's just me, it's fine. Um, Basically, it'll tell you how many days in a row you've read, how many weeks in a row you've read, and really how many books, I mean, there's all kinds of things. I want you to know that I surpassed the number of days in a row without missing over the amount of weeks in a row that I've read. Isn't that amazing? You want to know how many it is? Oh, it's not worth the clapping. <laughs> it wasn't just two weeks. It was 142 weeks. So, 142 weeks of reading every single week and 142 days of reading every single day if I were to base my relationship with God on my ability to read the word every single day what I'm able to do is say I can track it with an app and I can pat myself on the back and when I make my relationship with God only about checking off a box and making sure that on my own power by my own organization, that I have checked this off for this day, do you know what I've done? I've made it all about me. And when we make our advancement in, the spirit, in our spiritual lives about our efforts, we then suppress the movement of the Holy Spirit inside us. Because there's no room for God to to move and to make you more like Jesus when you're saying, look how good I am. Look how much I have done. So the spirit works as you then learn to apply and use the gospel in your life. Because I'll tell you what, I, I, I missed, I, I remember it very clearly, I was close to this 140 something or uh, I, I almost got to this place where I, was, I read every day for like months and months and months. And I missed a day. Do you know what happened to me? I went, oh, you've got to be kidding me. How did I miss it? Got to start all over again. Have you ever felt that way in your relationship with God? Have you ever felt that way in making progress in learning what it means to be a Christian? I'd venture to say that most of us in here have been that way. The moment that we miss the mark by just a day, by just a decision, we go, well, it's all over. I got to start again let me ask you a question is that how grace works is that how Jesus said that you will be law that you'll belong to the father by doing this every single day or was it by it's not by your power not by your works not by your deeds not by anything that you can do it is by the work that Jesus had done. And that's why trying harder rarely, rarely works for us. Any of you ever try, said, you know what, I'm just going to try harder to be good? How'd that work? Didn't work, right? Uh, it's like when somebody says, hey, don't think about a pink elephant. Oh, there's pink ele- oh. <laughs> pink elephants, right? Any time that we try to make something about something, we end up failing. Being transformed in the likeness of Christ is not just about having willpower. It's about understanding that we don't control it anyway. So we began our journey as Christians along the Tyre tightrope, and we are securely on the back of Jesus, right? In, in fact, we, we understand that the only way to, to God is through Christ. The only way to have our sins forgiven is through Jesus. And we said, you know what? I trust Jesus, and I'm going to, car- I'm going to be carried on the sacrifice of Jesus, right? I'm going to get on Jesus' back, and I'm going to allow him to move me to the places I need to go. You remember that moment where you, you gave your heart to Jesus, you, you, you accepted Christ, and you were absolutely excited. You had this joy about you. You had all of the things. You're like, finally, I'm at this spot where I understand and know where I would go for all eternity. And we had this joy because we learned what does it mean to lean into the grace of Jesus, Rested easy. And if some of us, we probably sw- slept well for the very first time in, our, in a very long time, right? We leaned in and we experienced grace and we, and we slept well. We found freedom. Oh, that weight, that weight of me trying to do it on my own, it's gone. That weight of, of feeling the burden of all the things that I've done, it's gone. You know what? I might just make it to the other side. And there we are, Jesus taking step after step, moving us through on the march to eternity. He's just, we're just going down, and, and then we kind of, uh, you know, we're leaning in. And Have you ever hugged someone so tightly, like, you know, time just kind of stopped? You ever done that? I'm sorry guys that was a little emotional but have you ever done that have you ever just kind of there's that person that you come up to and you're like I could just melt you know and and hug you and feel so connected it's that it's that Jesus is, is, is that for us right it's the passion, it's the love, it's the freedom, it's the grace, it's the everything, and it's, and it's just finally there's no more pressure and no more stress on me. I might just make it to the other side. But then something happens, right? You start looking around. <laughs> you look down. Oh, you feel the wind. You sense the vibration across the line. And then what do you do? My need for security my need for control my need for recognition my need all of those things that that kind of bubble up about me and and about me oh me and and we find ourselves going i don't know if this guy's going to make me get there or not. And we're determined that I'm not going to be the one that just free rides all the way to eternity. No, I'm going to be the one that works myself there because I can't just let Jesus do the work. And we forgot. We forgot the words that he had whispered to us before we stepped from that one side to cross over into new life. He whispered Before we climbed on his back, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Jesus says, if you're going to go, you only go by me. And my grace is sufficient. The gospel is sufficient. The power is perfected when you submit in your weakness. And we had to choose. We had to choose how we proceed across the rope. So how will you cross? Will you cross by faith? Will you cross by works? Paul, knowing the objections that would come from the Jewish believers, the struggle that they would have with, with knowing all of what was going on in the in the Torah and the story of God's people. They knew, about the, they knew about the promise that had been given to Abraham. They knew about this contrast that happened between the, the law that was given and the promise that was given. And Paul, knowing this in, in one of these great master strokes of being who he was and understanding the goodness and the richness and the fullness of who Jesus is, Paul then addresses the whole thing that they were worried about. And he talks about Abraham. He says, know them, that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Because Abraham was given a promise by God that, that he would have descendants as numerous as the uh, sand on the shore, right? That, that all people would be blessed through the seed of Abraham. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel. God preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, in you shall all nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So faith is the the word that continues to come up in the scripture. That it's through faith that you've been saved. It's through faith that you are, are in with Abraham. It's through faith that you're blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And he talks about, listen, the law, the law that we are very concerned about. You know what it brings? It brings a penalty. If he brings a penalty of breaking it, it brings death. The law, he continues on through uh, chapter three. He talks about the law brings a curse. And those that live by the law, they will die by the law. And if we live by the law, we will begin then to look to the law for our happiness and our fulfillment. That's why when we live by the law, our checkboxes matter. When we live by the law, when we miss one, we crumble. When we live by the law, we die by the law. When we live by the law and our happiness is found in our adherence perfectly to it, And we fail, our lives then have no meaning. God made a promise to Abraham, though. And God keeps his promises. When you make a contract, no one annuls a contract that's been ratified. God made a contract with Abraham, he said, I give you this covenant. And God himself sealed the covenant between he and Abraham. So with the law and all the difficulty that was being brought in to the Galatian believers, they were saying the way to salvation was through the law. And if that were the case, Paul says, then God would have broken his promise. Because Paul said, listen, the promise came to Abraham, and then uh, 430 years afterwards came the law. And the law coming does not annul the covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise given void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by the promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So then, the question in our hearts and our minds is, then why the law? Why were we given the law if, it doesn't, if it's being fulfilled in Christ? Why were we given the law... And it's because God wanted us to understand what and how he measures righteousness. The hearts of the people were so far from God. He gave them the law so that they could see that they were lawbreakers. The promise was a gift. A free promise. And it becomes, if it becomes based on our performance, then it's no longer free. So Paul says in Romans, kind of wrapping this idea in together, he says, listen, am I then suggesting that the law is sinful? Of course not. It was was the law that showed me my sin. If I had never known that coveting was wrong, if if the law had not said you shouldn't covet, I wouldn't have known. But sin, once I understood this, once I, understood, once I heard that I'm not supposed to think about a pink elephant, that's all I thought about. Sin, was used, sin used the command, sin used the holiness command of God to arouse in me my own desires. And all kinds of covetous things came from me, Paul says. But if there were no law, then sin wouldn't have power. God gave us the law so that we could understand that we're lawbreakers. God gave us the law so we could understand what does it look like to live a life that is righteous. When we lean into the fulfillment of the law, death takes over, right? But when we lean into Jesus as the fulfillment, sin loses its power. When I learned the command to not covet, the power of sin came to life. And Paul says, I died. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and it's good. The trouble is with me, for I'm all too human, and I'm a slave to sin. So he communicates it this way to the Galatian believers. He says, is the law contrary to the promise of God? Absolutely not. For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would then obviously come from the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Christ might be given to all, to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. So then... The law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Until the fullness of Christ came, the law became the measure. And it was the guardian, the one, the guide rail that said, listen, your heart, if it's tuned to the heart of God, will beat this way. You won't covet You won't lie. You will only have one God. You won't commit adultery. You'll honor your father and your mother. You won't steal. The law was a guardrail. And it showed us the very heart of God. Faith in Jesus, the gospel... It makes us justified before God. It makes us righteous before God. And if we could have attained it by our actions, then we'd have no need for Jesus. But I prove to myself every single day, every single day, that if I depended on me for my salvation, it's not good. And I'm thankful for Jesus. Because I know that I could not walk a tightrope across the falls, but I can definitely learn to rest in the balance of the one who can. And I think for us, those of us that have grown up in church, those of us that have been um, hurt by church, Those of us that have made everything about the things of church. I have a very serious question for you. Regardless of how long you've been attending. Regardless of how long you've been in the church. Have you trusted Jesus in faith? I'm not asking you if you had perfect attendance. I'm not asking you if you got uh, a check mark for bringing your Bible, bringing your offering. I'm asking you, have you placed your faith in Jesus? How do I know? Are you tired? Are you tired of trying to live the Christian life? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Or is it in yourself? Do you feel off balance? Somewhere along the way did you say, hey Jesus, stop just a second. I'm going to help you. I'm going to get off. I'm going to do this on my own. You go help somebody else. Because I got this. Have you Truly trusted in the grace of Jesus. So today I want to be very clear. I want to be very clear as we wrap up the service. I want you to physically move. I know sometimes you're like, "I don't know what to do at the end of a service. I don't know what to do when the, when the pastor asks a question. I want you to physically move. Do you need prayer? If you need prayer, Tina will be at the back. We'll have others here at the front. If you need prayer, come and have prayer with somebody that can love and encourage you and partner with you. If you've been trying to do life completely on your own power, if you've made following Jesus more about what you do than what Christ has done, I want you to come and I want you to pray and I want you to repent. I want you to repent of that. And I want you to find the peace And the strength that comes in leaning into Jesus because He's the only one that will take you across the falls. I want you to come and accept Jesus, to accept Him through faith, not by works. If you've already trusted Jesus in faith, I wanna ask you this Have you been baptized? Have you said to others that this is the condition of my heart, this is the condition of my soul, that I know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that there's no way to the Father except through him? I know that for sure, but I have never been held publicly accountable to it or identified with him in baptism. I want you to do that today. I want you to declare your relationship with Jesus to declare that you identify with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. Next Sunday, we're going to celebrate baptism. So it's a perfect opportunity for you. If you have not been baptized and you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, then you should come. And we'll we'll talk with you. We'll, We'll talk with you more afterwards. And ensure that you understand that it is by faith you've been saved, not by your works. Today is the day for you to make a commitment. So as we celebrate baptism next week, I want to encourage you to stand to your feet. And I want you to, as we begin, to get prepared to sing the next song. I want you to think about what God would have you to do. How Jesus wants you to physically move. Prayer. Accepting Jesus. Baptism. Lean into Jesus today. Would you stand with me and pray?